share with us what the Lord has put in your heart for us. Thank you, Yerberson. Thank you for that uh, prayer too. Much, much appreciated. Uh, appreciate the prayers of all the brethren, the believers at Rosemont Bible Chapel. Uh, like Huberson said in his prayer, uh, we really believe that God is a God that listens to us, hears us, and answers us. Maybe not in the ways that we would want sometimes, but he is there, he is real, and he is living. Uh, today, uh, we start the series uh, for Easter, which is based in reality upon the last week of Jesus here on earth period that's called elsewhere as the Passion of the Christ, from the time that he enters Jerusalem until the time that he is crucified and he is raised from the dead. And today what we're doing is uh, we're looking at two main ideas that we have in chapter 11 of Mark. First of all, that uh, Jesus enters, and that's a key word. The word enter is a key word, whether it concerns Jerusalem or it concerns the temple. And it has the connotation when we see who Jesus is, that God in Jesus is not satisfied that we go to him, but that he comes to us. He enters into our lives. He enters into Jerusalem. He enters into the temple. Uh, Doug last week spoke uh, on the parables and the week before, and last week he mentioned something that was called the Messianic secret. It's a theologian's saying, and in reality what they're doing is they're just picking up on something that we see from the beginning to the end of Mark, and we can call them the secrets, we might call them mysteries, which probably is better, uh, the word that I give here is uh, the enigma. Through Mark, there are three types of enigma, enigmas or mysteries that whether the crowd, whether the disciples, or whether the leaders, they're having a problem understanding. And Mark has given us his gospel so that these enigmas might become more uh, clear to us and that we would understand it. The enigma, first of all, concerning the king, who he is. Second of all, the enigma concerning the kingdom, what has Jesus come to do? And third, a very important part of Mark 2, is the enigma of the way of the disciple. In fact, if we divide the gospel of Mark, the first eight chapters, uh, uh, starting in verse 14 of verse uh, chapter 1, treat the question of the kingdom of God. What we have in chapter 8 to chapter 10, or the end of chapter 10, we have the idea of the way, or the way, or the, 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 the road that the disciples are asked to walk as disciples of Jesus. And so, and then in chapter 11 to chapter 15, what we have is the enigma of the king, who Jesus really is. Uh, he's going to show in this last week of here on earth, and which Mark told us right away in chapter one who he was. So the idea of enigma, the idea of mystery, um, we have to have uh, examine, or what I would like to do is examine three events that we find in the last week. One event which goes into the last week, which is the way, 
Jesus and his disciples are coming from Galilee up in the north. They're coming down south and they're coming to Jerusalem. And from chapter eight, right up until chapter 11, what we have is the disciples on the way. It is called the way. And then we have in chapter 11, the entrance into Jerusalem. And then we have in chapter 11 to, uh, from verse 11 to 19, the entrance into the temple. What I'd like to do is I would like to read what we have here in chapter 11 of Mark from verse one to 19. Now, when they drew near to Jerusalem, to Bethphage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples and said to them, go into the village in front of you. And immediately as you enter it, you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it. If anyone says to you, why are you doing this? Say, the Lord has need of it and will send it back here immediately. And they went away and found a colt tied at a door outside in the street and they untied it. And some of those standing there said to them, what are you doing untying the colt? And they told them what Jesus had said and they let them go. They brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks on it and he sat on it. Sorry. He sat on it. And many spread their cloaks on the road and others spread leafy branches that they had cut from the fields. And those who went before and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David, Hosanna in the highest. And he entered Jerusalem and went into the temple. And when he had looked around at everything as it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the 12. On the following day, when they came from Bethany, he was hungry. And seeing in the distance a fig tree and leaf, he went to see if he could find anything on it. When he came to it, they found nothing but leaves, for it was not the season for figs. And he said to it, may no one ever eat fruit from you again. And his disciples heard it. And they came to Jerusalem, and he entered the temple and began to drive out those who sold and those who bought in the temple. And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. He would not allow anyone to carry anything through the temple. And he was teaching them and saying to them, is it not written, my house shall be called a house of prayer for all the nations, but you have made it a den of robbers. And the chief priests and the scribes heard it and were seeking a way to destroy him, for they feared him because all the crowd was astonished at his teaching. Jesus, according to Mark in chapter 8, right until chapter 11, desires radical discipleship. Radical discipleship. We read in uh, Acts in the chapter 9 and verse 2 uh, that Paul, he is talking about what he was doing before he became a Christian, and he asked from the leaders of the Jews, uh, letters that if he found anyone belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring him bound to Jerusalem. And the idea is here in Acts chapter 9, the Christians first were not necessarily called Christians. It seems that the, in Antioch they were called Christians, but it seems that the farther that we go in the Acts of the Apostles, one of the main names that the Christians had 
was people of the way. Jesus is people of the way. And I, I must admit that for years when I would read that in Acts, and it's not the only verse in Acts that talks about uh, the, the way, but I'd read that and I'd say, okay, well, why are they called the people of the way? And I figured, well, they call the people of the way just because they're following Jesus. But it, I think it goes a little bit deeper in that. The word, the way, is found in the Gospel of Mark, the first Gospel. It's found about 11 times from the time that he leaves Galilee right until the time uh, that he goes into Jerusalem. And it speaks of the way that Jesus was teaching the disciples to be like him. He was asking them to live uh, a radical discipleship as he himself lived it, as he was going to the uh, uh, to, uh, to Jerusalem, we read in chapter one of Mark, uh, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet, "Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way." Talking about God's way, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, "Prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight." And we learn later on in chapter 8, Jesus went on with his disciples to the villages of Caesarea Philippi. And on the way, he asked the disciples, who the people say that I am? And in verse 52 of chapter 10, Jesus said to him, go your way. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him on the way. Uh, it's amazing, it's interesting when we read Mark and we see that the beginning of this troop, the trip from Galilee to Jerusalem, what we have is we have this section of Mark starting with the healing of a blind man. But when Jesus heals him the first time, the blind man says, oh, I, I can see, but it seems like everybody is walking as if in shadows. And then Jesus again touches him and uh, uh, heals his eyes so that the man can see clearly. And then at the end of the section about the way, we have another blind man, Bartimaeus, that is there and calls out to Jesus as the son of David. And Jesus says, okay, well, come. What would you want? I want to redeem my sight. And then Jesus gives him sight. And then uh, Bartimaeus follows Jesus in the way into Jerusalem. And I think that what Mark is trying to tell us is that for us to be disciples, what is necessary is that we would have the scales fall from our eyes that we might understand two things that are very important. The first thing that is important is that we understand who Jesus is and how he accomplishes his mission. Who Jesus is and how he accomplishes his mission. He is the king. He is God himself, as we, going to, as we will see as we go through Mark. He is God himself. And as God, as the Messiah, he goes into Jerusalem and he goes to die. And so what we have here is Jesus is saying, what I want is a, a radical discipleship. And for you to live this radical discipleship, what you need is you need to understand really who I am and how I am accomplishing my mission so that you can live as I am and that you can live in the way that I have lived. And so as we go into this last week of, of Jesus, 
I think that what we have to do is we have to ask the Lord, Lord, please, please open our eyes that we might understand what this way of the disciple is modeled after you. Jesus, when he's on the way, he says to his disciples, if anyone wants to come after me, let him deny himself, let him pick up his cross, uh, let him follow me. But the idea is that in this discipleship, to follow Jesus meant that they would have to deny themselves, they would have to put up the cross, and they too would have to go to Jerusalem. The destination for a disciple was not to live uh, the glory of the kingdom that would one day come when the Lord recre recreates all of creation. No, up until that time when the Lord will come back, what God wants us to do is he wants us to be disciples, but disciples that will live radical discipleship in a sense that will realize our lives are given over as Jesus was to do God's will, and to die. That is what God wants. Not that we would have everything that we would need today. We will have that one day when we meet him face to face. But what God wants is he wants individuals, men, women, children. What he wants is he wants individuals to be given wholly to him so that they might go, they might enter into this world, and they might deny themselves, take up the cross, and follow Jesus. Their hope for victory at that time was that victory would come as God had promised. God himself, his glory would come down uh, on the temple. Uh, and from the temple, what would happen is that God's glory would go out from the temple and reach out into the whole world. And the world would recognize that God is the true God and his son is Jesus Christ. And so their hope for victory was that they didn't believe in Jesus, but their hope for victory is that when going up to Jerusalem, God somehow would, would, would accomplish what he had always promised. But going up to Jerusalem wasn't a question of, of, of winning in the sense that they thought, no, something else was going to happen. And God was going to teach them that the method for victory was not power, but it was humility. I think that's very, very important for us as we are living this Easter season, as we are living this Passion Week in our studies, and as we get closer to Easter, to consider ourselves, well, what kind of a disciple we are? What am I desiring to do? What is my, my, my desire as a destination? Well, I, I, I did a funeral last year or the year before. And the person that I did the funeral for was a very special friend, but he was a man of God that was involved in so many things for God. And not little things, big things. And when he was about 40 years old, uh, he became sick. And most of the rest of his life, after having been so active for God for the rest of his life, he was sick, in pain, and at home. But as I thought of him and his life, and I thought of what God did, I could only say he lived radical discipleship. He said, Lord, whatever you want me to do, I am willing to do. And out of his weakness became the glory of God.
When Jesus entered Jerusalem that day, in reality, there were two parades that day, two parades. One was a parade that came down the Mountain of Olives into the eastern part of Jerusalem. Another parade came from, uh, from the Mediterranean, and it was Pilate with all the power of Rome that came into Jerusalem because during the Passover, the Romans didn't leave the the Jewish nation alone. They realized that it was a time when people were thinking of liberty. They were thinking of rebellion. They were thinking of, uh, uh, of, uh, of God as king and doing what he's always promised. And so there was always a possibility of rebellion. And so Pilate would come and he'd come into Jerusalem and he'd come with his horse. He'd come with his cavalry. He would come with his soldiers. He would come with all of his equipment. And to tell you the truth, in, that, in the world that day, to see a prefect coming into the, into the town, it, it represented the power of Rome uh, and the power and strength of Rome to force people to live in a way that Rome said would promise them to have peace and security and, and to live well, uh, but always in denomination, a domination. But what we have here is we have Jesus coming into the city but he's not coming in in power. He's coming in in uh, in uh, in weakness. He says, uh, Malachi three one. Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come into his temple, and the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight. Behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. But who can endure the day of his coming? Who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire and like a fuller's cup. So has it this house, which is called by name, become a den of robbers in your eyes? Behold, I myself have seen it, declares the Lord. Go now to my place that was in Shiloh, where I made my name dwell at first, and see what I did to it because of the evil of my people Israel. And what we have here is the judgment that came uh, upon the temple, because it was a question of judgment. When Jesus came into his temple, he expected to see the temple as he uh, had wanted, according to the prophets. And so when he came into the temple and he saw that the temple was not doing as it should be done, he called down judgment on the nation of Israel, but he called down judgment also on the temple of Israel. In the entrance, Jesus came, and the Bible says that what happened is that to people, they put clothes down. Jesus came on, on a coal, and people were selling, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. If we look at those passages in the Old Testament, we see that the, one of them pertains to David, the first one. The second one pertains to Jehu, another of the king. And the third one pertains to the people that are going up to Jerusalem uh, to celebrate God. Uh, and, and, and what we have is Jesus coming in, but not coming in in the sense that Pilate came in, coming in as a humble, small, little compared to Rome and coming in to accomplish God's will. Pilate represents the power of Rome, but Jesus was telling us God has the true power, but this true power is represented and it is operated only by a humility, only by a littleness that accepts what God is doing 
and gives himself so that God can do it. When Mark wrote his gospel, most of the people were living in the 60s of the first century, which was a horrible time for the Jews and for the Christians. It was the first time that the Christians were being persecuted regularly and difficultly uh, by the Romans. And the Christians whom, to whom Mark is writing, they, they were there and they were saying, well, well, how can we live as Christians during this time? It is very, very hard. We might have to give our lives. We're being uh, excluded. We're being isolated. We're being ostracized. Everything is being taken away from us. Well, what must we do? And, and the Lord is saying, I think through Mark, what you must do is give yourself over to a radical discipleship. But you have to understand, although it seems that you are little, you are small, that you have nothing, that you have no power. It is not true. Because through, even through your deaths, God will accomplish something because it is through humility and it is through death that the power of the resurrection comes through. That's what Paul teaches us and that's what Jesus is teaching us here. Yeah, the people could look at him coming into Jerusalem and say, he's not much. But on the other side of the coin, they could also say, Look what happened. Look what happened through his humility, through his weakness. God operated. And we as disciples, it's the same thing as we walk on the way. God is calling us to, to, to live as Jesus, to be humble, sometimes to be brought in situations that are utterly horrible and difficult. What God wants us to do is to realize that even in the most horrible situation, as it was in the case of our Lord Jesus, even in the most horrible situation, God's resurrection gave victory. And I really believe that as we focus and meditate upon this entrance of Jesus into the kingdom, we're not looking at power as the world looks at it, but we're looking at power as, G as God looks at it. He went into that temple and in that temple, Jesus closed down the operation of the temple. Not only that, but he called him a den of robbers. And this phrase used in the Old Testament is not a phrase uh, that is complimenting the people in the temple and the Israelites. He's calling down judgment on them. And, you know, this is my last thought. The whole idea of the temple, we have to understand that in the temple, the Jews believed that heaven and earth connected. It was in the temple that there was a union between heaven and the earth. Jesus says that we should pray that one day his kingdom could come and that his will would be done on earth as in heaven. Well, the Jews believed that that existed in the temple where God met the earth. And Jesus is saying that this temple is going to be destroyed. It is going to be destroyed because it is not what God wanted. When Jesus went to the cross and when he died, the gospels tell us that the veil of the temple was uh, broken down or ripped from top to the bottom. It was God that did it. And for many years, I believed that this rupture of the veil 
was a sign that now we have free entrance into the presence of God. But I've changed my, I've changed my idea a little bit. I believe in the veil being wrought or veil being ripped. It's not just a question of us entering into the presence of God, but it's a question of the temple being opened up to the whole world. And we know that in the New Testament, Jesus called his people, and we have become the temple of God. And we are not to be enclosed and keep it to ourselves. But what God calls us to do is to go out into the world and be a place where God can meet the earth in the, in the community of his people. And, go, and the people would be able to see God working. The Jews had stopped the Gentiles from praying. Jesus is telling them, it's not what I wanted. From the beginning, I wanted the whole world to be included in the restoration of creation that I will accomplish through my son. That, that's what he wants. And for that to happen, well, we are called to be temples in the sense not to be enclosed into ourselves, but be open and to go into the world and show them what it's like to have God touching the life of every day. May the Lord listen to what we have to say today. May he teach our hearts. May he help us to be better disciples, radical disciples. May he help us to understand that there's more power in weakness than in force. And may he help us to understand that we're not called to be enclosed, but to be open that the world might know the Lord. May the Lord bless all of you. Thank you.